Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. Again, the U.S. uh, continues to grapple with, I use the term mass shootings and then just let me qualify that and quantify that. We're talking about shootings where three or more people are, um, are injured by gunfire. And so there have been a number of them, depending on who's counting, something like seven over the weekend, resulting in the deaths of at least 11 people and the injuries of 54 others. And you say to yourself, Why are we focused on this? Well, we're focused on this because it's traumatic, um, not just for the specific individuals who are injured and or lose their lives um, and their friends and their families and the communities where these things take place and the places of business and or the schools or synagogues or churches or hospitals or medical offices or grocery stores uh, where these events occur. Um, But it makes us feel less safe in all of those places. And so it has this like rippling terror effect. There's no other way to describe that. Um, And so maybe it has led you to think twice about um, going somewhere or doing something um, or allowing your kids to go somewhere or do something. And so I think that anything that changes our behavior is worthy of our conversational consideration. And so um, we're going to talk with Dr. Linda Mental about our response, particularly to trauma when it takes place or, or traumatic events, when they take place in spaces and places that we go. Um, Linda was actually in the medical building where the shooting took place um, in Tulsa last week. And so we're going to talk with her about that. But I want to Um, lead off here with a passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, and I don't have it up in front of me, so bear with me for just a moment while I open it up. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about um, the way in which God comforts us and then the way in which we comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. So that's the language here. So uh, Paul is praising God, the God of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. So consider that for just a moment. How has God comforted you? How does God comfort you? Paul regards God as not only as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in the midst of all our troubles in order that we might be able to comfort others in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Just to consider that for a moment. 
How has God comforted you? And then how could you be a conduit of that comfort to others today? Where in the Word are you today, and how are you letting the Word of God fill you in order that when the world squeezes you, and it will, what comes out is the grace and the truth and the mercy, the comfort, the compassion of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Dr. Linda Mental joins us next. Mental is back. You can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show, drlindamental.com. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I, I am well. It is well with my soul. I am uh, I am at a place of, of peace, but my people, according to my Life360 app, are all over the place. And you know, because I can't see them with my own two eyes, I uh, when they're dispersed like this, I have a little bit greater anxiety than I do when they're, you know, all here within the reach of my wings. That's right. Well, it's been a it's been a difficult week, I will say, uh, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is not real close to where you are or the radio network, but part of uh, the whole body of Christ as we deal with, like you were mentioning, these very traumatic events. Um, I have to say, I didn't even know it was the shooting was happening. I had a friend, Norm, actually, my husband had a friend text him from California, and said, "Are you all right?" And we were like, what is he talking about? What, what does he mean? Are you all right? So we turned on the news and it was live in the scene. Um, there was an active shooting quite near our house, actually, because we're not too far from the medical buildings. Um, and that's where my doctors are. And uh, we saw this unfolding and it was something surreal, uh, just surreal for the moment, you know. And then obviously you somewhat glued to the TV trying to figure out what is going on, what just happened. And Carmen, for me, there's this moment of that happens when I hear something like that because of my background. And I think this is important when people hear traumatic events. If you are somebody who had a trauma in your background uh, and it's somewhat you know, related in some aspect of it, you immediately get sort of hypervigilant in terms of what's going on, where am I, what can I do, do I need to be concerned? So a number of years ago, um, and I've told you this story before, but my brother was blown up on a on a on an airplane by a terrorist bomb, and that you know coming home from the day on that summer afternoon and having an army officer in our kitchen and hearing this news that we couldn't believe that he had been uh, you know killed, it, it's just it goes back for a moment. You are back in that moment of uncertainty, sudden sudden uh, news that is just horrible and you are you have a moment of that sort of arousal again fortunately because i've worked on it and because god has helped me and just what you had talked about prior to me coming on the comfort that god has given and been able to help our family i'm okay but i did have a moment and i was very acutely aware of that first of all linda um thank you for your vulnerability and for um, your transparency. For folks who have not heard that story, could you fill in a few of those details? Because I do think that, you know, it, it provokes people to ask questions when they feel like they, they 
They just know enough to make them curious. Um, if you'd be willing to fill that in a little bit, I think it would be helpful. Give us a sense of the timeline um, in terms of your own life. And then how do we process not only, I mean, in the moment, there's probably no guidance for processing, but um, right. how do we process over time? Right. So it was a number of years ago. I was actually on my way to college and um, my I was, you know, just having a normal summer day and I was out and I came home and I saw my father in the kitchen during the middle of the day, which I knew was not typical. And uh, when I walked into the door, there was, as I mentioned, an army officer sitting there giving my father the news. And then my father told me. So my brother had served in the um, army as an officer and they were going around the world. He was a biologist. Um, they were going around the world uh, checking bases. I think they were, we, we later found out that it was sort of top secret stuff. And they were dealing, I think, with looking into chemical warfare and things like that, that were of significance even a number of years ago, obviously. And we, they believe that the plane was blown up, even though it was a commercial airline. Um, there were eight Army officers on that airline, and they think they were the target. So this was long before 9-11, before we knew about terrorism, and we didn't have the Internet to um, you know, spread news. But the moment you hear something like that, uh, you just, you know, you can't process. My my father was sitting there, and I could just see the the grief all over him, and I I couldn't wrap my mind around it. We had to get my mom home, and my mom fainted the minute she walked in the door. Um, and you know, I didn't even have memory of my other brother being uh, at the house when all of this happened. I forgot that he was even there until years later. We, when we're able to talk about the story and tell our, our perspectives, different details came out. So one of the things that happens, and, uh, and the reason I bring this up is because I was in that same building this two days after the Tulsa shooting. I had an appointment in that same building, and uh, I had to go in there. And I just, uh, for a moment, you know, again, I, I had to get perspective. I thought, this is not the same. Uh, the shooting is over. There's great security. So you have to put your brain around that, your mind, uh, you know, into the perspective of what is happening then. But as I walked in there and I saw the the staff, and it was so somber in that room, Carmen, so somber. None of the patients were talking or looking at each other. The staff was really somber. And honestly, what happened is I was in there filling out my forms and about about five minutes into it, there was an announcement over the, the PA, which was very unusual for a medical office because I've worked in medical offices and I, I don't remember this type of thing happening. But there was an announcement over the PA that said, we're having an immediate staff meeting, um, please come to, and then they said it and everybody left. And I was in that room and the door was open to the hallway. And the first thought I had was there was this big poster next to me, one of those those things from the bottom to the you know top, that those metal things that you roll up. And I thought, where would I hide? I would hide behind that poster. I had that mm -hmm. thought in my head. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know, that that's just the the fear and the panic that comes over. So when I went to the back and I, I started talking to the the techs and the people back there, I mean, they just wanted to talk. It was their first day back. They were very anxious. They were very afraid. They They came into the to the building and everything was tossed from the police search. So they were getting triggered. So we just talked about anxiety and how to take our thoughts captive and how to move through it and try to establish routine again. 
And then the processing, which you mentioned, was so important. Um, you know, they were in shock still, and and they were still processing that this event had actually happened in their building. So, you know, I was just careful to listen, to reassure. Um, and then obviously at the end, I talked about prayer because that's who I am. Um, but it was a it was an interesting moment again of just reliving a piece of that original trauma that I had. But exactly what you pray, what you talked about, because I had been through it, I knew how to comfort those people in that room. And I knew how to be quiet and listen and give them space and let them breathe for a moment and just talk. So what was horrible that happened in our life was used just like you talked about to comfort other people. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental about her own experience and the application of of those experiences um, in conversations with others, ordinary people doing ordinary things on an ordinary day that turns into the most horrific day of our lives. We're going to talk with Linda when we come back about nine ways to loosen the grip of fear after a shooting or trauma. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. She's going to share with us some ways to loosen the grip of fear after a shooting or trauma. You can find the article we're discussing at drlindamental.com. Um, Linda, let's let's go through as many of these as we can. You start with gaining perspective. Right. And I, I want to say, just to encourage people, the fact that I can talk about my story and not cry anymore or not have mm. issues uh, related to that that's a good hope for people and to be optimistic that you will get through the difficult time, especially with the Lord in your life. And you will have a day when you can talk about it and you can, you know, have um, a, a regular functioning life. So anybody who's, who's dealing with anything traumatic, whether that's a bad diagnosis or a loss of love, a loved one, or all the people that lost people during COVID would just encourage you that it does get better as you process and move through this. So getting perspective, number one, acknowledging the fear. So I, I thought it's so interesting, you know, there are 18 books in the Bible that where, where it says fear not. So obviously uh, Jesus knows, then God knows that we have a tendency to fear. We're built like that. We have this automatic warning system inside of us that when we detect a threat, it goes into alert and it needs to, because sometimes we need to protect ourselves. But when fear goes on beyond that and you sustain it, then it does nothing but damage to the body. When all those hormones are released and you're in this sort of hypervigilant state, then people uh, start to experience not only physical problems, but emotional problems, relational problems. And so we have to learn to turn off that fear response, which we can do. So that is the good news. And that's what we do when we work with people that have uh, post-traumatic stress reaction. We have to help them learn to turn off that fear response when there's no apparent danger in front of them. And then the thing that I told the ladies that were back in the in the office with me when I was in that building the other day was you, you need to move through anxiety. So our, our biggest sort of response is to always want to avoid those situations. So we can't avoid sending our kids to school. We can't avoid going to the grocery store. We can't avoid going to medical appointments because this is part of our, our routine. We need to do these things in order to live our lives. And so it's better to confront the fear and work through that anxiety 
as you're confronting it. So I really applauded them for coming to work. I told them it was very brave to come in. They had a lot of courage walking through the door with all that had just happened and that that was the best thing to do in terms of healing. And then of course, we always want to take our thoughts captive. So as you walk through that door or you send your child to school the next day or whatever you do to try to get that routine back again, Obviously, our mind is uh, very powerful and our thoughts can go negative. And so we have to continue to take those thoughts captive and to meditate on the word of God to make sure that we're, we're changing those irrational thoughts to something that is more rational, something that is uh, related to God's word. And then I think it helps a lot of people, Carmen, to practice relaxation. So one of the things I saw how tense the woman that was by my exam room was was talking with me and I said, just take a breath, just breathe deeply right now, try to relax your body because all that tension um, you know, is not good either as well. And then a, a really important one for a lot of people is to limit media coverage, to stop watching. If you're getting more fearful, more anxious, and you just keep watching and reading social media, you just need to stop. Obviously, having a good support system is very, very important for all of us because we need to talk. We need to process. We need to work it through at whatever level we are. And then I think the final point here is, and I, I, I don't really understand this, but our, our lives are in God's hands. So when I think back to my brother whose life was cut short and he had a, a two-year-old and he had a baby on the way, I, I, I really... You know, my only response to that is there's evil in the world and we live in a broken world and we live before um, everything will be made new. And at this point, we do have tears and sorrow. And we know there's a day when we won't, which is what we all look forward to. And I know there's a day when I will see my brother again because he was a believer. So we hope in Christ, right, during all of this time of sorrow. We know that there will be a better day. Um, even though it's very difficult sometimes in the present. But again, with God's help, with his peace, he promises that to us. He says if our mind is stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. And so just encourage anybody who's been through a trauma or some difficult time in your life, meditating on God's word and getting that scripture uh, deep into your life. I I, I mentioned in a piece that's going to, um, a blog I'm going to have tomorrow that, I was so upset at one of the politicians I heard from Arizona who was making fun of prayer and saying prayer does nothing. All we do is talk about thoughts and prayers. And that's true. We have to do action too. But he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the power of prayer. He doesn't understand that battles are won in prayer. He doesn't understand that God's transforming power is in us. And as we pray to a God who is alive, and cares about our life, that he is able to keep us in a place of peace and calm and comfort. So I felt angry at first, and then I felt sad. I thought, this is a person who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't understand the power of prayer. And so maybe that's another call for us to be more vocal about what Jesus can do in our lives and how he helps us, because so many people need that. Amen. Linda, as always, thank you so much. Blessings um, on you. I know it's going to be a few weeks before we're going to talk with you next, but we'll keep our eye um, on drlindamental.com. We'll look forward to reading the blog um, that you just mentioned. 
You guys can find the resources and connect with Linda at drlindamental.com and on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. Mark Vrograp is a pastor in Indiana. Um, One of his books is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. We have talked about it on a couple of occasions. We've certainly talked with Mark on a couple of occasions since the release of his book in 2019. Um, It's on the topic of lament. And we have talked about lament and learning to lament or relearning to lament, adding prayers of lament back into um, the the warp and woof of our prayer life individually and corporately. Um, there is now a, a devotional book that goes along with Mark's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And so he's going to come back and we're going to talk about lament. We're going to talk about um, journaling our prayers. We're going to talk about the power of writing things down and saying them out loud, the practice of lament, Um, in the seasons in which we now live um, as individuals and a culture. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Pastor Mark Vrogop is back with us, author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, today also with a devotional journal related to that. Mark, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thanks for having me on your program. I wish um, I wish we would arrive at the time where there was no new need to lament, nothing uh-huh. in uh, our personal lives or the culture which would drive us to our knees in this way. Um, talk about the need to lament for individuals and for people. Yeah, I mean, we're longing for the day, aren't we, when all of our tears will be wiped away and we'll not sing any of the songs of sorrow. And that day is coming. Jesus is going to come back and there will be a day, but we're not there. And we live in this in-between world where the world is broken, sin is real, and um, the Bible gives us a language to process that kind of pain when we're sort of in this realm between we really believe that God is good, but life is really hard. We know God is sovereign, and yet, man, evil things happen. And so what is what, what do God's people say when they experience this reality? And lament is a language that the Bible has given us to pray and talk to God so we can work out our troubles while we wait for Jesus to return. Mm. I think when we um, when we talk about the in-between time, the already and the not yet. Um, I think we can lament because we do know that hope rises. We do, um, we do know who God is and that he is sufficient and reliable. Talk about um, the freedom to lament because of our faith and confidence in God. Yeah, in the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, I make the statement that to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And, you know, every human being enters the world crying. We all experience hard things in the world, but Christians process their sorrow differently. We lament precisely because of what we believe to be true about God. If, if we didn't believe he was sovereign or if we didn't believe he was powerful, then there would be no reason to, to mourn over 
um, the tension that we're constantly living in, but it's precisely because we believe that God is good, precisely because we believe he's sovereign, that Christians cry out to God and we say things like, how long, O Lord? Or God, arise. Uh, we, we, we ask God to move, and uh, lament is a, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's the way that God's people historically have talked to God when they know he's good, but life is still really hard, when they see the difficulties in life and wonder, God, if you just intervene, everything could change. And so lament is this language for God's people when they're stuck between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's goodness. And it's one of the most theologically informed things that Christians can do. So if you're saying to yourself, I would love to read Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, and I would love to have the devotional journal that goes along with it, we are bundling those two books together today. Um, And so if you would like to receive that uh, summer bundle, I'm going to call it bundle up, like, right, this is my little summer bundle up um, of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and the devotional journal that goes along with it. Text the word book to 877-933-2488. Eight four, and we'll get you enter in, entered into that drawing. Mark, what's the um, what's the advantage of journaling in relationship, devotional journaling specifically in relationship to Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy? Well, after I wrote Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy in two thousand nineteen, I I heard from readers who discovered lament. Uh, you know, most mm-hmm. of us, like me. You don't set out to study lament. Lament finds you. You have some trauma in your life, and you begin trying to process it. It's messy. And then for for most of us, lament is a category that sort of explains what's been going on in our life. And in that way, it's incredibly helpful. It gives us um, a language, um, a way to think about what's been happening. So the devotional journal is the next step as readers reached out and said, hey, how do I incorporate this? in other areas of my life. Because once you've discovered lament in one area, you begin to hear it in other places. And Mm. by God's grace, you begin to realize, wow, the world's more broken, maybe even than what I had realized before. And this language is really powerful. And so one of my dreams is to have people see a lament in the Psalms, look at it through a particular lens, to study it, to see the words in the Bible that are inspired, words that fit with our own present trouble and our language that's sometimes so filled with very painful emotion. And then, here's the real key, when we begin to write our own laments, expressing in real time this beautiful connection between God's Word and the comfort that comes from seeing inspired uh, language in the Bible that gives voice to my pain, and then I put it in my own language so that I really come to be able to process my grief and learn to trust in God. So the vision of the journal is to look at 15 additional lament psalms, uh, realizing that one out of every three psalms in the Bible is a lament, and say, look, there's a lot here, and there's a lot of pain in the world because, you know, grief doesn't stop until Jesus returns. It's going to be sorrow upon sorrow throughout the course of our lifetime. So we need to learn how to lament, not just about the momentary griefs, but about the whole dynamic of the human experience as Christians. Mm, that's so good. Um, could you give us an example? Like, can you um, talk with us about the process of moving from reading a a psalm of lament understanding it or seeking to understand parts of it or maybe words within it, and then actually journaling it into our own experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, most of us maybe uh, grew up knowing the kind of the acts um, outline for prayer, adoration, confession, mm-hmm. thanksgiving, supplication, great way to pray. But I would suggest one out of every three days, because there's one out of every three psalms of lament in, in the Psalter, you might need a different form of prayer. And so I identify four key elements, turn, complain, ask, and trust. And one of the really helpful things is to take those four categories and then figure out where do I see those in the text of scripture. So to kind of do an inductive study of just looking at the psalm in order to see where is the psalmist turning to God in his pain? Where is he laying out his complaint? Where is he asking boldly? Where is he choosing to trust? So um, an example would be in uh, Psalm 86, we see that uh, particular form of turn, complain, ask, and trust. And then here's just an example of a, of a lament I'll just give you a couple of lines, not the whole thing that I've written in light of Psalm um, 86. So when the Bible says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, here's how it sounds in my world. God, I need you to hear me. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm asking for you to listen to my lament. I desperately need your grace today. And then when we think about complain in, in verse 14 of Psalm 86, the psalmist says, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. And here's a way that I've expressed this in my lament to the Lord. Lord, you've heard every unfair word. You know how I've been misunderstood. I'm upset. I'm defensive. I want to strike back. I don't feel like they care. It doesn't end. I don't know what to do. So, and I can go on with the rest of that um, personal lament that's actually in the back of uh, Dark Clouds, uh, Deep Mercy as an example. But it just, that, that's incredibly transformative, I think, and therapeutic that we can take this kind of pain to the Lord and allow him to help process it with us through prayer, because that, Carmen, that pain's got to go somewhere, and mm-hmm. it's, it's stuck in our souls, and if we're not talking to God about it, we're, we're going to be in a bad place, and I, I find a lot of Christians who are struggling right now because they don't know what to do with the long-term pain of what their experience has been, especially in the last two years. Talking with Mark Vrogop, we're talking about his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, and the companion devotional journal. We're giving them away as a bundle today. If you'd like to enter that drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Where does the psalmist turn to God in, in his pain? Where does, what does the complaint sound like? What action does the psalmist take? And then the fourth move is trust. That is, um, well, they're all critical, right? I mean, I could turn in lots of directions with my pain. Maybe we should start mm-hmm. there. What are the alternatives? Where do people tend to turn instead of turning to God in their pain? Well, most Christians end up giving God the silent treatment. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they turn other places like to idols and things to try and, uh, you know, bring personal comfort. We could unpack that. But for me, I, I think, you know, when the, the psalmist um, says in Psalm 77 that, you know, I raise my hands in prayer um, to you, but you don't listen. Um, and uh, people are frustrated that it seems as though God doesn't hear them. And as a result, they stop praying or, or they come to the conclusion that real Christianity is um, just sort of faking that you're joyful and happy. They come to Sunday worship and, um, you know, they, they kind of live in two ditches, the ditch of denial, like, they come in and how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And they're not fine. 
or the ditch of despair where they begin to think, man, if I'm wrestling with these questions, I might not even be a Christian. And so the, the key is, is whatever you do, whatever we do when we're struggling, we can't stop talking to God. We've got to keep turning to him. So first and foremost, it's just to say in your pain, don't give God the silent treatment. Mm, so good. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Mark Vrogop in just a moment. We're talking about dark clouds, deep mercy. We're talking about praying as the psalmist prays in prayers of lament, actually lots of other places in the scriptures as well. Um, How do we do that functionally every single day? We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Pastor Mark Vrogop. He has his uh, website. I encourage you to visit so you can check out what he's thinking about and talking about other than his books. Mark Vrogop, V-R-O-E-G-O-P dot com. Uh, He has been the lead pastor of the College Park Church in Indianapolis um, for more than a decade now. Actually, like getting on 15 years here. Um, And in addition to Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace uh, of God in Lament, um, he is also the author of Weep With Me, How Lament Opens a Door for Racial Reconciliation. And then we're talking today about the addition of the devotional journal to the Dark Clouds Deep Mercy um, set. Mark, um, I'm curious to know the day after uh, the Sunday upon which, if we are in a liturgical church, we acknowledge that it was Pentecost. Um, curious to know uh, how the Holy Spirit works in terms of prayer and why we talk so little about the Holy Spirit in terms of the way we gain access to the Father and move through, um, move into and through real lament? Well, you know, that, that's a great question. And I don't know that I know all of the answers on that one, because I think it's, it's multi-faceted uh, in terms of um, how from a understanding of the Holy Spirit, how we think about um, what it means to learn about God. And for, for many of us, we, we probably approach the study of God um, appropriately intellectually, but maybe um, out of balance in terms of how do the emotions play into our um, understanding of uh, seeking after God. Um, you know, where does thinking, where do actions, where do feelings all kind of um, fit into the mix? And, you know, the Holy Spirit, as a member of the triune Godhead, um, doesn't take the front seat in uh, in anything. And so, um, as a result, I think he can be um, under-evaluated uh, in terms of his role in the church, and maybe even um, under underutilized. And yet, here's the thing, when when you're grieving, and your emotions are so strong. I, I just have talked to so many grieving people. There's a palatable sense of the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in a unique way when you're so desperate that you're coming to the text with nothing. And so it, mm-hmm. it, it, it may be that part of the reason, and I don't, I don't know, somebody else could evaluate this maybe better than what I could, but it, it may be that part of the reason why there's a um, a, a less of, of an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in our culture than in other places is because of our self-sufficiency, our self-confidence. In some cases, we don't, we don't need God. We can analyze him. We can figure him out. And then when the bottom drops out, it suddenly then 
Uh, God has our attention, and we may even be more attuned to what the Spirit is saying through the text, and in some cases through lament psalms. In fact, if you look throughout global history, it's the marginalized people, the people who are exiles, they were the ones who really learned to lament. People who are in uh, positions of comfort and ease and authority and control, uh, lament isn't familiar to them, because lament is the language of a people who are in a bad place, and they really need God's help. Yeah, so thank you for making that connection, because I feel like as we recognize individually, and then as families, as communities, um, even as associations of churches, let's say, certainly as a culture writ large, as we recognize we are not self-sufficient, we have been too self-reliant, we have imagined that we can do it, um, uh, you know, by God's power, but we're going to do it, like we're going to be the ones doing it. Um, I do think we've. there's a lot of coming to the end of ourselves right now. Uh, I see a lot of people coming to the end of themselves, um, families coming to the end of their resources, communities of faith coming to the end of the way they maybe have thought about themselves more highly than they should have. I mean, on and on and on. Um, it seems like we are ripe for a season of lament. Yeah, I mean, I would say we're not just ripe, we are all lamenting. <laughs> it's just, mm. uh, I think it's, 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 it's a ripe season for an awareness, perhaps, of how unprepared we have been and unaccustomed we are to this language that we so desperately need. I mean, even just think about the songs that we sing on, on Sunday in the Western American church, we do celebration really, really well but we don't we don't know how to lament all that well. So you go into now this global pandemic and all of the challenges that have surfaced in the last two years. It's just been very interesting and hard to watch people realize I I need to think differently about my spiritual formation. And in that respect, I praise God for the last couple of years because. Well, there's songs that are being written about um, sorrow and lament-oriented things that are being written and published that weren't even on people's radar three, four years ago. So in that respect, that, you know, the Bible tells us that all things work together for our good to make us like Jesus. And so I, I think one of the lessons historically we're going to see is that this season of great difficulty has surfaced um, a humility that perhaps we needed and learning a language that had been neglected for so long. Um, Talk with us a little bit. um, What's happening at College Park Church? What's God doing? Um, How can we pray for you guys? Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, You know, we're uh, a church trying to figure out how to meet the uh, changing complex needs of uh, people in our uh, community and in our congregation who are in varying stages of of um, lament and recovery. The word sort of rebuilding is a is a word that I'm thinking about and praying about a lot, um, you know, just in terms of what does it look like to rebuild relationships, rebuild engagement and culture, rebuild evangelism. We're, um, we're, we're looking to find ways to meet specific spiritual needs in our uh, community. We're getting ready to, to launch a, a community um, counseling center we just, there's just so many needs, and we think the gospel is the answer, and it's just an unprecedented opportunity because the, the world has been broken, and people are looking for answers, and of course, we think that Jesus is the answer to their uh, problem, and so on the 
on the one hand, there's so many things that could be done for the glory of God. And yet at the same time, we're also all recovering. And so we're, we're walking with a limp and asking God to help us to serve him faithfully, realizing that we can't do it without his help. Hmm. Thank you. Um, thank you, as always, for talking with us. Thank you for the work that you're doing um, in your local congregation and community and in your own family uh, and taking the time today to share with us. Um, you guys can visit with Pastor Mark Vrogrop at his website. Uh, you can also text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're giving away a bundle today a copy of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, along with the companion devotional journal. Mark, thank you, as always. We really appreciate Carmen. it. Carmen, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. He put that All right, you put that hunger in your heart and that fire in your soul. Yesterday was officially the day of Pentecost, at least in Western Christianity, seven days after Easter, seven days, seven Sundays. Let's try that. Seven Sundays after Easter, celebration of the arrival or descent of the promised Holy Spirit upon what we call the church. So you could think of it as the birthday of the church. Maybe you celebrated it as such. Um, it's also our rebirth day, right? So if you are a person who has always wanted a June birthday. Now is your opportunity to have one, right? You just celebrate your rebirth day, uh, the birthday of the church, the day uh, of the descent of the Holy Spirit. So the text that you would want to lift up is from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The all there is uh, not just the 12, but um, all of the followers of Jesus who had remained in Jerusalem as they had been instructed by Christ. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were literally like a flame enlivened with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Everybody's full of something. I hope that you are full of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And if not, all you need do is ask him, ask him, Holy God in Christ, I acknowledge my sin before you. I acknowledge your son for my salvation. Send me your Holy Spirit to reanimate my life, to fill me, empower me, encourage me, to give me a sense of who you are, your presence and awareness of your power. And God will. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.